verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Father, we pray that as we come to you today, that these words will be your words, that they will ring clear, that you will be heard and seen, and that we will know you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, many of you know that I am the pastor's, a pastor's son. I'm a PK. Uh, and so in that, there were often times in my life that I felt like the answer to any question that I gave my father, the answer was one word. It was always that one word, no matter what question I asked him. And that answer was Jesus. Somehow, in some way, some form, or some fashion, Jesus tended to be the answer that I heard for whatever question I had to ask. Dad, why do we do this? Jesus. Dad, why did this happen? Jesus. Dad, what's two plus two? Jesus. And I would go, now explain that one to me. And he'd go, well, Father, Son, Spirit, and you. That's four. That's Jesus. That's what my dad really kind of lived out, that every answer was Jesus. Now, if you've ever grown up in a church or you were in Sunday school, oftentimes, anytime someone would ask a question in class, some child would immediately say, Jesus, right? That's the right answer. That's what we do. Now, as time has passed by and grown, it seems that I feel like Jesus might not be the answer to every question. Two plus two is four, although you can use it as an illustration about who Jesus is as well. And in our world today, it seems like a lot of people have tried to discover a new meaning of who Jesus is. And they've defined him often as just a good man, a good teacher, a nice philosophy that maybe we should try to follow. But C.S. Lewis actually said that that's not a good way to look at Jesus and who he is. I had a shirt once that said, Lord, liar, or lunatic that I used to wear. And it's based on a quote from C.S. Lewis, and as strong as those words are, that he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic, I think C.S. Lewis' quote is a little actually more convicting. This is what he said about Jesus. He said, a mere man, a mere man who is merely a man, and said the sort of things that Jesus said, would not be a good moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either the man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman, or something worse. And so as we continue in our series about the story of God and his redemptive pursuit through Scripture, this idea that God is wanting to be our God and that he is creating for himself a people. And we are part of that people. We recognize that over the last three Sundays, we've talked about how God was in that pursuit. How he came about as a priest in Moses. How he came about as a king in David. And how he brought us prophets 
in order to be called back to where we are supposed to be. And today what we're going to see is that Jesus, in fact, is the founder and perfecter of this faith. That, in fact, he is the perfect priest and king and prophet. And so what does that mean for us? And what does it really tell us about who Jesus Christ is? So the first thing that we want to look at is the fact that he is the perfect priest. Now the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this about the office of priest of Jesus. That Jesus, being a priest, offered himself up once as a sacrifice for us to satisfy the divine justice of God and to reconcile us unto God and that he continually intercedes for us. So if we remember that what the priest's job was to interact with God, was to bring about redemption for sins, was to offer sacrifices for God to recognize that his people were growing in a knowledge of who he was and his love for them. And what we find in Jesus is this, that he, in fact, is that sacrificial lamb. That he, in fact, is the mighty high priest. Hebrews tells us all about it, doesn't it? Look at Hebrews 5, 5 and 6. It says this, And so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said of him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the day of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. Jesus is our priest. He is the one who works in our lives to call us to the good. Right? B mentioned it. The good that was creation. Wait, not was, but is creation. Remember when God began the foundations of the world, he set out that it was good. Why? Because in the very foundations of creation, we see our right relationships. Our relationship with God, who is creator and Lord, lover of our souls. The, create, uh, the, the right relationship with ourselves. An understanding of who we are in relationship to God, but who we are in relationship to ourselves. That we are made for something greater. Some divine purpose that he has given us. Not that we'll discover on our own, but that we'll discover in our relationship with God and with the others that he has restored. That at the beginning of the world, he created to be correct and good. And not just that, but a, a relationship of place. And that it is through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that he forms a priesthood, not just of himself, but of all believers. That he draws us in to the priesthood. That he is the great and mighty high priest for us, the perfect one, but then he calls us into the work of himself. And what is that work? That work is to point towards reconciliation. We are reminded that Jesus as a priest came to preach peace to those who are near and those who were far off. That is our job as priests. We preach reconciliation. That is the ministry that we have been given. But maybe the aspect of Christ's priesthood that passes us often 
Because we can sometimes, if you've been to church, go, yeah, yeah, reconciled. We've heard that big word before, right? Or yes, okay, so I'm saved by the work that Christ has done. But it's the idea that Christ himself is interceding. And not just interceding for us, but is continually interceding for us. He is speaking to the Father on our behalf. He is the one who says, there's a gap, Father, between you and your people. And I will step into it. So much so, Father, that they don't even know how to communicate with you, how to talk with you right. And so let me speak, Father, on their behalf. We're reminded of that in Romans chapter 8, how the Spirit groans for us. That's Christ as the mighty high priest interceding for us, going to the Father for us, praying actually for us. So practically, for those of you who say, I really wish I was a better prayer. I really wish that I knew how to pray. Let, Let me give you two things that might be helpful. The first one is this. Know that your prayers are happening through Jesus. That he already is praying for you. So what you do is just catch up. And the second thing that has helped me more than anything is to know that every time I breathe a breath, I am saying a prayer to the Father. Because when I breathe, it is a thanksgiving prayer that I am alive. Now, see, I think this helps because of this. We often think, well, I need to pray this long prayer. I need to set aside all this time to pray. And those things are true. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. We do need to set aside time in our lives that we spend earnestly praying, seeking God. But I think we begin to feel shame and we begin to feel fear that we're never going to be able to do that. And so if at a moment we believe that we are always praying, constantly praying a prayer of thanksgiving, then all of a sudden in our minds we're able to go, I'm already a prayer. (laughs) I do it all day long. So it's not that hard. I do it okay and already. And not only that, Jesus is the one who is interceding for me. He is the one who is making prayer. So that is how he is our priest. How is he our king? What does that look like? The Shorter Catechism again says this, that Christ brings us under his power and rule and defends us. And he conquers all of his and all of our enemies. I want to look at Matthew chapter 14. I think this is an area where we see God's working through Jesus to establish him as a king. You, you might not remember this passage. It, it's Jesus' temptation from the devil. It says this, Then Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, first of all, when we think about kings, we think about battles, Right? Kings rule from the thrones, but they go into battle. There's a compulsion to move as a protective stance. Somebody's coming to get my property, or I need more land. And so I'm either going to go to the battle, or the battle's going to come to me. And so I'm going to be prepared for it. Listen, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It wasn't like he was just going out there because he needed some time alone. He was going to battle. 
as the king. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, should be. He's 100% man. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him into the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is writ as it is written. He will command the angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Again, the devil took him up very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came, and they ministered to him. Now when we hear that story, when we hear that historical event, that is a king fighting a battle for us. Why do we know this? We know it because we think back to when the tempter showed up in the Garden of Eden. And he said, oh, God surely doesn't mean that, Eve. And what does Eve do? She says, that looks good to my eyes, it looks good to fill me up, and it will give me knowledge. Satan comes, again, the tempter. This man who knows... Who knows the covenant that was been made? Who knows what God is about? His redemptive pursuit. And his whole purpose is to thwart it. His whole purpose is to end it. And so what does he do? He thinks, well, I'll tempt Jesus the same way I've tempted before. But Jesus doesn't falter. Our king conquers he is, as the king, the defender of our very lives. So much so that the epistles remind us that we have been placed in Christ, in the work that he has done, that we rest securely there, that we are so safe and so secure that nothing can tear us away from him. And he not only is that, he is our caretaker. He watches over us. And he cares for us. So he is our king. But how is he our prophet as well? The catechism tells us this, that he reveals the will of God to us for our salvation by his word and spirit. Do you remember what a, a prophet is about? It's about leading to repentance. It's about reclaiming who we really are. It's about resting in the fact that salvation has come through Jesus. He is a prophet because he proclaims himself in word and deed. He is a prophet because he comes and says, Repent, I am here. I am the truth. The way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the perfect prophet because in all that he is, in all that he does, he reveals who God is and what our salvation is. And not only does he do it by being the incarnate word that John reminds us of, he does it through the Spirit that now lives and dwells within those who follow after Christ. We have been empowered to know and understand, not in our own sort of private areas of our lives and going, well, I think God is telling me this, but God has joined us together as a community, 
as a spirit, in his spirit, so that we can speak to one another and go, is this right? Is this what God is doing? Yes. And we can confirm with one another what God is doing. Prophets are confirmed by Jesus. He is the ultimate prophet. And so by being the true priest, by being the true king, by being the true prophet, he becomes the founder and perfecter of our faith. You see, Jesus is much more than the logical, rational answer to a complex problem of life that we live. I want you to understand that. That Jesus is more than the logical, rational answer to a complex problem in life. You see, because here's the thing. If we only see Jesus as an answer to a problem, we in our human hearts and nature, we will begin to eliminate the problem. Because we don't want a king and a prophet and a priest outside of ourselves. We want to be our own prophet, priest, and king. And we will somehow think through the problem of life and go, well, it really doesn't need Jesus as the answer. Some have gone so far as to eliminate the problem altogether. That there's no problem. There's no need for Jesus. But here's the thing. By being the founder and perfecter of our faith, by being the true priest and king and prophet, Jesus shows that he's not just the answer, but that he's the question. That he is the all in all. Colossians puts it this way, and I'm going to read it from the message because it's a little bit more flowery and maybe a little bit more understanding. It says this. We look at this son, Jesus, and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. All because of his death and his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, 
thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you've got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together wholly and wholly in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly turned to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There's no other message, just this one. Jesus is the all in all. He is the thing that can bring us to a place of hope and understanding. He's a, the one who brings us out of this race to a place of rest. He is the one who takes all the duty and the thinking of righteous thoughts that we think we need to have in order to be saved and transforms them into devotion. So, church, those of you who follow Christ, know this. Jesus is all in all. He is everything. He is perfect in all that he has done for us. And he has called us to trust his righteousness as he is our priest and our prophet and our king. And for those of you who are hearing this for the first time, or you have been hearing this a little bit throughout your lives, let me say this to you. Oftentimes when we speak of Christianity, of following Jesus, sometimes we think it's rules. And that can't possibly be right. And sometimes we hear it and we think, it's too easy. There's no way that all I have to do is believe. <laughs> that just seems too easy. And I want to tell you this. It is too easy. It's too easy only because of the work that Jesus has done. It's too easy because we could never found and perfect our faith. But Jesus has already done it. He has founded and perfected your faith. And so when you think that it's too easy, release and praise God. See what he will do. See what he will do. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. You are mighty and holy. We ask that you will Bring us into yourself. That we will know you as the prophet, priest, and king that is true. Break us, Father. Break us where we are afraid to follow you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and read with me this response to the word from Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. It says this. Read with me, please. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Amen.
You may be seated. As we come to this time of communion, this time where we recognize and remember where we are fed on the body and blood of Jesus and the way that he has provided grace upon grace upon grace to us. We ask that if you are a follower of Christ, that you focus on him, that you recognize what he has done, that you repent of those places that you have tried to step in and take over. And we ask that if you are here and you have not actually begun the process of following Christ, we ask you to consider it. Consider it during this time, but we ask you to hold off from taking these elements because they're the Lord's and he invites you to them. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after dinner and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, give us grace upon grace upon grace in this meal. Let us know who you are because of it. It's in your precious and holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. May our helpers come forward.